Hey everybody, I'm Tim Whitaker, along with Rob McMichael and Jordan Renault. This is our podcast, Coffee, Theology, and Jesus. Our purpose for this podcast is to discuss this messy, difficult, and amazing thing we call the Christian faith. As Christians, we are encouraged and challenged constantly to see what the Bible teaches us about who Jesus was and how he lived and how we can better represent his message every day. Join us each episode as we explore how this relationship with Jesus affects everything from politics and religion to relationships and theology. Now that you know a little more about us, let's get into this week's episode. Well, we have officially reached episode number 50. First, thanks to all of our listeners who tune in every episode, and a bigger thanks to those that give us feedback on all aspects of this show. We couldn't do this without you. However, this week, we didn't have a guest on, but we wanted to take the time to discuss the prayer of Representative Stephanie Borowitz prior to the swearing-in of Representative Movita johnson Harrell. Of course, this prayer leads us into a broader discussion of the gospel and the appropriate means of communicating it. But with that said, we hope you enjoy the discussion for this week. Welcome, everyone, to the Coffee, Theology, and Jesus podcast. I am your host, Tim Whitaker, joined with my lovely co-hosts, as always, Jordan and Rob. Hello, gentlemen. Hello. Hi, Tim. Hi. Um, Packed show tonight, because our shows are always packed. (laughs) so much prep ahead of time Um, (laughs) i'm very excited but i was thinking today actually i'm even more excited because at the time when this gets released it will have been a little over a week that avengers endgame tickets were released and yours truly was able to snag not one not two not three but 24 (laughs) tickets for a prime time showing 10 o'clock on thursday dolby and i am pumped you're going to be able to like lay down in the seats. It's pretty, it's pretty, um, yeah, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty Sweet. excited. Tim, have you gained that much weight that you need 24 seats? <laughs> yes. Yes, I have, Rob. Um, I have. Yeah. Um, I am very excited for this movie. I just need you guys to know that and all of our listeners to know that. But the thing is about a podcast is that in like a year from now, when people listen back, they're going to laugh because the movie would have been out for over a year. But right now it's not out yet. So I'm ecstatic. I'm pumped. In fact, I was so excited. I was consistently checking for ticket sales almost every day. And then when they got announced that they'd be released April 2nd, I was waking up in the middle of the night to check them. <laughs> I'm not even kidding you. And That's then a little bit ridiculous. Well, I wanted prime seating for me and my, my people. All right. And so all right. I'm in a meeting with my parents for work because we work together now. And I refresh my screen and boom. The tickets are live, and I panicked. I had like an adrenaline drop. So I log into Fandango. I buy the first nine. I buy another nine. Then I, then I start getting kicked out because people are trying to also buy tickets. I was able to snag another six or uh, no, another five uh, total for a grand total of 24. Only cost me $500. <laughs> <laughs> we, we heard Sarah laugh in the background. <laughs> that was my wife laughing. That we spent $500 on Avengers tickets. <laughs> well, if you include the hoodie that I bought, $610. So, Well, oh that was gosh. so nice you of you. a $110 hoodie? No, five. Oh, no, wait. I'm sorry. $530. It was only $30. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I was like, we need, we need to change topics tonight. We're going to talk about, this is going to be an intervention. 
Talk about financial responsibility. Hey, that is responsible. Yeah. All right. Dave Ramsey's on the show. Yeah. Hey, Dave. Yeah, I'm, I'm very excited for this movie. I'm, I'm pumped. And I'm not done yet. We got Center Seats, Dolby Cinema, which is the best way to view a movie. I mean, I can't wait. 10 o'clock showing Thursday night. Is that different or better than IMAX? Okay, so I saw my first Dolby Cinema movie um, yeah. for Captain Marvel, and it was way better than IMAX. The sound was way better, and the picture I thought was clearer overall, and it's not 3D, it's 2D, which I prefer 2D movies over 3D. So, totally agree. So when the tickets came out for Dolby, I said there's I have to see it in Dolby. So I'm where gonna, is there a Dolby theater? Well, it's it's kind of like how IMAX is in certain chains. So Dolby's in in two of the AMC theaters around me. So what are they in Cherry Hill? And yeah, Cherry Hill and uh, Neshaminy in. Pittsburgh. Oh yeah, yeah. So I I'm just saying my week is off to a great start. <laughs> well, congratulations, <laughs> Jordan. Are you? That's not coffee, Jordan. It is not. What is it? Right. It's a root beer. <laughs> I, I think he's that, lying. I didn't know With that. No Yingling, root. <laughs> I didn't know that Yingling makes uh, root beer. Uh, yeah, sure. <laughs> oh man, we're gonna lose all of our audience. And, uh, listeners, for your knowledge, Jordan will no longer be joining the podcast from here on out. He has become heretical. <laughs> subject for another time <laughs> we are due to have that discussion um but so. yeah so i'm excited for the episode today i you know why because it's gonna be a little more political which for me is right up my alley <laughs> right up your alley hey well i've been good to be fair i've been good i saved it up if if we're going to have a political episode we might as well start political with a jolly article that i found all right, I'm ready. I like so, how you said political episode, like like a like a nervous breakdown. <laughs> That's what oh, it made me think of. Yeah, Tim's <laughs> having another political episode. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but our right, beloved, right, our beloved AOC, we all love her so much. What's her full name? Alexandria Ocasio Cortez, the darling. Of the Democratic Party or Democrat it, Party. No, they don't I, even like her. <laughs> yeah, no, I would say the darling of the Socialist Democratic Party or the Democratic Socialist Party. Yeah, I, I feel like the old school Democrats don't like her. Feinstein and um, Pelosi, Pelosi, Schumer. Who's the other one I'm thinking of? Uh, Warren, Senator Warren. Uh, that- yeah, Elizabeth oh, Warren. Elizabeth she's Warren. she's kind of skating the line back and forth, though. Well, she's running for president, isn't she? Yeah, so she's just throwing out crazy ideas to see what will stick. Really quick, I feel like every Democrat ever is running for president right now. For sure. <laughs> Cory Booker. Uh, Beto O'Rourke. Uh, <laughs> did you see, speaking of Beto, did you see Jimmy Fallon's skit on Beto O'Rourke? No. Oh my goodness, it's hilarious. His hands are moving all over the place, and he's like so excited. You got to watch it. Ben Shapiro mocks him pretty well. Um, Ben Shapiro has intro music for all the candidates and his is a Nirvana song. And then he talks like Beto, like, yeah, dude, let's go. Let's go skate. And then we'll just, I don't know. We'll just smoke something. Then we'll just hang out. (laughs) Anyway. So AOC, while she was at some kind of town hall meeting or an MSNBC town hall event, I think. 
and she was talking about Democrats being in control of Congress in the 30s and the 40s. And she was quoted, when our party was boldest, the time of the New Deal, the Great Society, the Civil Rights Act, and so on, we had and carried super majorities in the House, in the Senate. We carried the presidency. And then her next statement was, they had to amend the Constitution of the United States to make sure Franklin D. Roosevelt did not get reelected. So Liz Cheney took her up on that and figured it would be a good time to school her on some history, <laughs> but just replied with, we knew the Democrats let dead people vote, according to AOC, but they can run for president too. Because for those that are not fluent in their 22nd constitutional amendment history. That'd be Jordan and myself. Go ahead. FDR died in office in 1945. Right. And the 22nd amendment was introduced to Congress in 1947. But she's saying, because she, I read the article that you're talking about, and she responded, right? And she was basically was saying, I'm not defending her. Because yeah. I, I really don't like her either. <laughs> but uh, she did say something about like it was still kind of it was still in response to him and in response to something like they recognized the danger of him holding. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but but yeah, just you have to be very clear on what you actually mean. <laughs> yeah. Or, or you're just going to get roasted. <laughs> because that, funny. And then the the. Um, Cheney's response to that was tweeting a video from Schoolhouse Rocks about the basics of the Constitution. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what'd she write? Oh, if you're still trying to figure out how a bill becomes a law, they have a great video on that too. <laughs> um, AOC is, I think, one of the few, if maybe only millennial in, you know, office of I guess like executive, oh not executive, uh, na um, national office, right? And if that's what I'll, it's not, if that's what I have to look forward to for the, everyone else, I'm truly scared for the future of America. Maybe for the first time because she's so ignorant and doesn't know. She talks in like Facebook sound bites. She talks in Facebook statuses. There's like no depth yeah. of what's like happening underneath. Even that Green New Deal, which is oh my, I mean. I don't understand the Babylon B article. The Babylon B article you posted. Oh yeah, you have it. It was like chimpanzee on typewriter uh, writes reasonable res uh, alternative to Green New Deal. Well, yeah. because, because <laughs> they post, they came out, then they tried to say, "Oh, this was the early draft," but it's it's all. Um, which I don't have the right word because my vocabulary is so limited because I'm so dumb. <laughs> but it's so. Um, just idea oriented, right? Like there's no substance of how you would do it. It's like, right. let's retrofit all the buildings in the, in the U S to be more efficient. It's like, okay. And how do you want to do that? Oh, um, no answer. Let's go to the next thing. You know, yeah. it's just, which, there's, there's no substance of any kind of realism that, which is why no one voted for it when they brought it to the, yeah, the, that was kind of funny to me. Yeah. <laughs> like it was obviously like, that's why they brought it. It was just so that would yes. happen. Everyone knew that would happen, yes. but it was still kind of funny. It was like, well, this is what you wanted. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Which 
uh, come and come, come to work with me for a little bit in the boiler industry and realize that there's still boilers operating that out there, super inefficient on coal. <laughs> and come on, you're not going to get these industries that have been having running these boilers since like the thirties. Get out of here. It's just not, it's not feasible. That's the problem is that people like AOC who come in, they're all, you know, freshmen they all probably have these grandiose ideas but they're also not rooted in real in any kind of realistic worldview at all right i mean the yeah. new deal i mean i guess in a lot of ways might sound somewhat good if it was a feasible without losing a million jobs and also didn't cost us trillions of dollars to do but but the the left has been really hijacked by like you said this like socialistic view but also um, climate change is such a huge fear of people like AOC. That's like that drives so much of their ideology of the planet, the planet. We only have so many years. It's, it's a ticking time bomb. Therefore, we have to do all this stuff. But um, not that I don't, not that I don't think that we should have healthy laws and that there shouldn't be the EPA and that things shouldn't be regulated well to minimize pollution and all that stuff. I'm, I'm all about getting off of fossil fuels. I think that's all good stuff to do. But to make it seem like the sky is falling when we've been around this circle before in the 70s, in the 80s, in the 90s, and then the, the, the data shifts or new research comes out. It just to be to be forced to do it out of like fear mongering doesn't work for me. Right. And that's what it is. It's the same thing when I don't know if you guys remember when um, Obama got elected. Glenn Beck was on his radio show literally saying it's the end of America. He's like, this, they, this is a socialism we've, we, we've been afraid of. It's coming. America will never be the same again. You know, they're coming for your rights. And here we are eight years later after Obama. We're still here. We still, you still have your guns. You can still go to church. It's not the end of the world. So I feel like whenever fear mongering, whenever fear mongering comes in, it always, um, it, it very rarely is the full you know, um, reality of what's really happening. Yeah. It's interesting to me that, uh, back to the FDR comment, like how much politicians try and like claim some historical thing or like Democrats will say, well, we were able to do this back in the thirties and try and fit some historical circumstance into like modern politics. Yeah. And it really doesn't work because when you look at the values of even the democratic party back in the thirties were so different. Um, FDR probably wouldn't have run as a Democrat today. <laughs> He'd probably be something totally different. Um, and just that you can't take something that happened, you know, almost a hundred years ago and say, this is somehow proof for, or support for my opinion today. Right. <laughs> Just because we hold to the same name of the same party. It's a great point, Jordan. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Much like how we can't take ancient Hebrew texts and apply them. No, I'm not going to go down that path. So. <laughs> no, go ahead, Rob. Go ahead. <laughs> You're on a roll there. I don't want to stop you. No, no. It's it's not the episode for today, Tim. Are you referring no. to creationism? I'm not referring to anything. You're not <laughs> referring to old earthers versus new uh, young earthers? Nope, I am not. Okay, I'm I'm really trying to bait you here. 
You are, and it's not going to work. All right. All right. Uh, it's Jordan, a conversation I, for another much, day. Much like that Senate vote on the Green New Deal, <laughs> uh, Rob is not prepared for this conversation. <laughs> it, it's, it's premature. He doesn't want to have it yet. I do That's tend right. to agree with you. And it's also, so I've been watching on Netflix, CNN has these um, like docu-series on the 90s and on the, and on the uh, early 2000s. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's actually, they're actually really great on technology and music and of course on politics. And it really is interesting how in the 90s, it's the same issues. Uh, healthcare reform was a big one. Immigration is a big one. Crime's a big one. It's the same issues and it's the same scare tactics that people use to convince their voters why they should vote for them and not for someone else. And yeah. it's amazing how quick we forget that this stuff has been the issue forever, forever. And that and the Republicans have said things about the, about the Democrats that they're still saying now and vice versa. And it's interesting because it just seems like people that either I see on my social media feeds or people that I know, the lines are really more divided than ever and people really believe it i mean people really think that the democrats want to destroy america people really think that they think that that left-wing you know people are crazy and they just want to destroy everything america stands for and they hate america and they're all socialists and they don't want any kind of competition people really believe that and on the other side of course people believe that every conservative uh, stands for racism and for, you know, um, 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 what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, ah, I don't know. I'm blanking on it right now, but things like that, you know, racism or whatever, um, homophobia, all this kind of stuff. And it's the same circle that we just, we just keep on going in. And it just seems like nothing, there's just no headway on unity in any way, shape, or form. And at least back in even the 90s, I mean, Clinton balanced the budget and it was a bipartisan effort. There seems to be a really great, um, a really big hyper-partisan divide more lately than ever before. Yeah. It's crazy too how much the millennial generation just doesn't understand things either. Like, let alone looking back at like previous decades and understanding that we went through these same things and how things turned out after that. Um, have you seen those videos? Uh, you know, that guy, Will Witt, mm-hmm. he's like a conservative, um, yeah, he does the commentator for, for Prager university. Is yeah, that, is yeah. That, is that the change my mind guy? No, no, uh, this is, a, he's a younger guy. Will Witt's a young guy. Um, but he has these videos where, so there's been a few I've seen where he'll go and talk to like college age, uh, people on the street and the one is like uh, it's like college students think electoral college is actual college oh yeah oh, <laughs> oh that was hilarious and then uh, what was the other one? Oh, socialism and he thought he asked this girl about socialism and she's like well we're show socializing right now oh no <laughs> yeah the the college one he he was like could would you mind telling me what the electoral college is and the kid's like mm, I don't know Maybe Harvard. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And to think that those kids are paying $90,000 to get that kind of education. Yeah. And then we're letting them vote. <laughs> or, or, in this, or run for office and get elected. Yeah. yeah. I mean, honestly, I'm not saying that I have a good understanding of our political system. That's not what I'm saying. But right. I was, oh, you're not running for office. <laughs> right. That's so what I was going to say. If I was going to run for office, though, I better know 
the basics, the <laughs> basics. I mean, <laughs> basic stuff that you know anyone in politics should know. It is worrisome to think about the fact that so many millennials, well, so many millennials are ignorant to this stuff. But I think so much of it is because we spend most of our time on social media and on nonsense information that yeah. that we don't ever think about the importance of knowing real things that actually impact the world around us. So we're too busy partying in college or too busy with our friends or too busy going through Instagram feeds. And it obviously has an effect because like you said in those videos, people give answers to things that you, you go, wait, you didn't know that? I mean, I mean, the electoral college, anyone should have a basic understanding of what it does or at least like know what, what we're talking about. Yeah. And that the answer isn't Harvard. <laughs> no. Mm. It's it's crazy. Um, I do want to get in though to speaking, you know, in politics, the Christian side of it, and I know we talked about this a lot before, but something happened recently that was just another moment of you know, palm on forehead of oh boy. <laughs> Um, thank you, Christian person in politics for doing this. You make us look really good and respectful of other people and their beliefs. So um, I think this happened uh, in March, like end of March. So um, in the Pennsylvania State House, there um, was a Muslim woman who was going to be sworn in um, for the first time ever. And they, I guess it's very standard that they open up the sessions with prayer. So they had um, a lady named Representative Stephanie Barowitz deliver the prayer, um, who is a Christian. And so she delivered a prayer for this lady's, you know, swearing in ceremony, who happens to be Muslim. And uh, Rob, do you have the audio up? I do. Can you play it? So I want people to hear what this this Christian lady prayed during a ceremony with uh, where a Muslim woman was going to be sworn in uh, into the American, you know, legal system as a representative of Pennsylvania. All right. Make sure that you can hear it. So I'll play it now. Representative Borowitz. Yeah. Thank you, Speaker. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this privilege, Lord, of letting me pray, God, that I, Jesus, am your ambassador here today, standing here representing you, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the great I am, the one who's coming back again, the one who came, died, and rose again on the third day. And I'm so privileged to stand here today. So thank you for this honor, Jesus. God, for those that came before us, like George Washington and Valley Forge and Abraham Lincoln, who sought after you in Gettysburg, Jesus, and the Founding Fathers in Independence Hall, Jesus, that sought after you and fasted and prayed for this nation to be founded on your principles and your words and your truths. God, forgive us. Jesus, we've lost sight of you. We've forgotten you, God, in our country. And we're asking you to forgive us, Jesus, that your promise and your word says that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek your face and turn from their wicked ways, that you'll heal our land. Jesus, you are our only hope. God, I pray for our leader, Speaker Terzai, Leader Cutler, Governor Wolf, President Trump. Lord, thank you that he stands beside Israel unequivocally, Lord. Thank you that Jesus, that we're blessed because we stand by Israel and we ask for the peace of Jerusalem as your word says, God. 
We ask that we not be overcome by evil and that we overcome evil with good in this land once again. I claim all these things in the powerful, mighty name of Jesus, the one who, at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, Jesus, that you are Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, what they don't tell you in this video is right after that, the Muslim lady repented immediately and became a follower of Jesus <laughs> to this lady's amazing prayer. That was a clear gospel message. And uh, she responded very positively towards it and uh, converted it on the spot. So, <laughs> yep. Super effective. That's a cool story. <laughs> um, obviously, the opposite happened. Um, the lady was not. Everyone became real. Muslim. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, that's what happened. Um, yeah. So I heard that prayer. Well, okay. I can't call it a prayer. This is one of those cases where, you know, when you're in like a prayer circle before maybe church starts or whatever, and someone yeah. uses the prayer time, I'm using air quotes here, to really give a sermon or, right. you know, or, or speak in a way that is almost like a rebuke to someone or some the theological statement, you know, like, God, may it not be about what we do it may, may be about you because because of this thought it's like that kind of thing where it's like you're kind of you're calling it a prayer but we all know you're really pointing to something else right you're talking to the people in the room right exactly you're talking to people in the room and yeah. not really to jesus and this in particular um I almost don't even know where to start, like with the with the content of the word said. But when you hear it and you know who's in the room and what's happening, it's very, very, very evident that this is directed at that lady, um, not to Jesus. It's directed at her for being potentially potentially anti-Israel. It's directed at her for her faith because you know there's only one true God, and that's Jesus. And I'm not arguing any of those things necessarily it's just the worst time in the worst place to do something like that on in every way shape and form i mean obviously she got a lot of flack for it so no one respected what she did it doesn't change the reality of of uh of the situation and it just it just inflamed everything it made it much worse yeah i'm i'm sure she went back to her local church and was praised by her pastor for her steadfastness but yeah, that was that was horrendous. <laughs> what did you think, Jordan? Yeah, it's pretty awkward. <laughs> and I definitely agree with what you said about it has that feel of like a prayer that is really directed at the people that are listening. It's not praying to God. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I feel like maybe I definitely don't like I don't like it. <laughs> so I'm, I'm not trying to defend it really, but maybe to move the conversation because it's, it's related to this. But I guess my question is to you, Tim, like, do you feel that a situation has to be like the perfect situation where people are going to be receptive to the gospel in order for the gospel to be shared effectively or to bother sharing the gospel like because you kept saying like it's it's completely the wrong place completely the wrong time for that and i agree i don't disagree with you like it, it definitely wasn't a genuine i don't know but may, maybe i guess my question is what if it had been like a genuine she's a christian she wants to stand up and 
say something about her faith and maybe if she did it in a better way, do you still think that would be like completely inappropriate in that situation? Or do you think that there could have been a way for her to uh, kind of express her beliefs and you maybe even share the gospel in a way in that situation? Well, to me, this, this statement that she made is the equivalent of being in a movie theater and standing up and starting to preach the gospel. I mean, that's how like out of context it is for me. Like, okay, you can do that. No one's going to hear you. It's not the right place or time for this conversation to happen. And why are you doing it? Like, what's the point? You know, what's the point of the prayer? Is the point of the prayer to show people in the room that God truly wants to reconcile all things, including the people in the room and that God loves people and wants them to come to know him? Or is the prayer a political statement of what you think Muslims stand for, in particular, this woman stands for? So yeah. that's how I see it. Right. And I agree that her, the prayer she prayed in that situation was that, is, is what you were saying and didn't fit in that context. I guess my question is like, what if it had been more genuine, you know? Do you fail, still think it was completely the wrong? Because I guess sometimes, you know, Christians feel like if I have a platform where, you know, the public is listening to me, um, even if it's in a political setting, is that is it wrong to share the gospel in a political setting or in any kind of setting just because you think that people will generally be closed off to it? And I know in this situation specifically, probably the way she did it alienated and closed people off to it even more so. It's not necessarily that no one would be receptive of things to begin with in that context. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I think it comes down to... Well, I'm trying to answer your question directly, then kind of expound. Yeah. Are you talking about like like in a political setting like this? Is is it ever is there ever a right time to share your faith directly? Is sure. What you're saying. Yeah. I mean, I. In a nutshell. I'm I. I'm sure there could be potentially like how in the movie theater there could be potentially. I don't think that a political meeting ever lends itself naturally to like a gospel message being presented. I mean, you could, I mean, it's a, listen, it's a free country. No one's going to prison. No one's going to jail for what she did. She's not you know, under arrest for like breaking a law. It's not a morally wrong thing. I think though, what it comes down to for me, and I thought a lot about this in the past. I often wonder people who do things like that or people who will quote unquote, take a stand for their faith, almost kind of like a God's not dead kind of movie stand, you know, where it's like, no, I'm going to stand up for God because God can't stand up for himself, clearly, so I'm going to do it. I always wonder, what's your real motive? Is the motive that you want people to know Jesus and to know the redemptive nature of God and his forgiveness over their sin and that he offers a new way to live? Or is your motive that you just want people to know what you believe and you want them to have to deal with it whether they like it or not? And that's where I always wrestle with. And I, it seems to me in our current Christian American culture, from what I, again, this is more just personal experience. I don't have like a stat to prove this, but I think a lot of people who are very into the political sphere as well, who are either, you know, huge, um, uh, like uh, committed to the political process or, or who are in politics really are more about just proving why they're right and the other people are wrong. 
not so much that they want them to actually come to know Jesus for real. It's not really about that. So, yeah. yeah. Is there ever a time where it's appropriate to preach the gospel in a prayer? Um, well, I mean, I I, like off the top of my head, I would say no. <laughs> I don't know if the question it should be appropriate. <laughs> it's not really about appropriate. It's more about like, is it, is it relevant? You know, like, do you, right. ever, do you need to preach the gospel in a prayer? I mean, is that like a thing that you need that, that you should do in a prayer? Why, right. I guess in theory, if you're talking to God, why would it come up? <laughs> right. Right. You can thank him for what he's done, but there's it, the prayer in my mind. And I, I think I have the authority of scripture behind me is our communication to God. So there should never be a reason that we are preaching the gospel to God um, in that sense. Can I mean, it's a fine line because, because here is a situation where she doesn't have, she didn't have a platform where she could speak freely. All she had was a prayer. And is there some grace there in God's eyes to throw a little something in there? Like we said, yeah, probably. But wouldn't the prayer to God just be enough to say, Hey, we respect God and, and, own our authority to him and kind of just leave it at that. I think that would have been taken more receptively if that was the approach. Well, it just seems to me that people use the vehicle of standing up for God as a way just to be jerks and just to, just to shout their opinion at people ultimately, because it's again, if people really wanted other people to know who God is, you would want to do and you would, you would want to, say your message or or get your point across in the best way possible your, your goal then would, would be to reason and to try and convince someone you know why this god is so great why he's worth following not just uh, uh america will always stand for israel thank god for you know your kingdom because every knee will bow one day almost like a wrath you know like just so you know lady who's getting sworn in one day you're going to bow whether you like it or not you know, that doesn't get the point across of what being a committed follower of Jesus would really be. So I just, it just seems like things like that, this, this, this whole, really this whole Christian culture of we have to defend God and we, and we have to bring God back into our, our, our country. I just want to know, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like people, I hear all the time, you know, we kick God out of school. What does that mean? And if he came back into school, what would that mean? I just think that, that these are just, you know, crazy statements that almost like an AOC situation, they don't really have a lot of substance behind it because if you got what you wanted, what would you do? What would, what would change? What would, you know, if I just don't know. Does that make yeah, sense? It's, it's ironic too, because you talk to missionaries that are in like serving in lands where the gospel is very oppressed and Christianity is oppressed and, it's illegal to be a Christian there. These are the places actually where Christianity is thriving because it's being spread in the way that it was meant to be spread through personal relationships, through contacts, through um, people just living a life that is different from the world around them. And so in those situations, the gospel is thriving where in America we expect our country to preach the gospel for us. 
And so it alleviates us of the responsibility. Well, if they're going to cover God in school, then I don't, I don't have to tell my friends about God or I don't have to live a certain way because they're going to hear the message anyway. We live in a Christian country. And I, I wonder if it's just some of that, that um, removing God is a code word for now I'm responsible and I don't want to be. <laughs> well, I, I, I think though, Rob, I, I think that could be part of it, but I think the bigger uh, code word that God is for is really morality, our view of morality. Like, oh, when, when we bring God back to our country, then morality will be back to our, our country. Then, you know, the gays can't marry anymore. Honestly, I mean, people, th- people think this stuff. I'm not just being silly. Like, people right. think when God comes back to our country, when we bring God back in, there, it's really another word for morality. It's, it's our view of morality. Um, and that's almost what's so scary because we're not really talking about the grace of God or even the gospel of Jesus. We're really just using Christian terms to disguise uh, or as we're, we're disguising a morality culture under the terms of Christian or gospel or Jesus or God. But I don't know of anyone that, that, that well, I'm sure there are people, but people that I hear speak about bringing God back into our country, usually from what I understand, don't mean may the gospel go forward. They mean may things get back to how I think they should be morally because our country is going down the pooper. Yeah, I think it's a lot has to do with fear. I think for, for Christians, you see, maybe it is kind of somewhat what you're saying, Rob, too, with just the not wanting to take responsibility for the gospel in a personal way. Um, but I think there's definitely a fear that people have that, um, you know, that either, I don't know, maybe deep seated. It's, I don't think people would say this, but uh, I think people are afraid that somehow, you know, the gospel's going to be, uh, you know, shut down. Like no one's going to hear the gospel anymore. It's going to turn into, you know, uh, some super repressed, uh, oppressed religion in our country. And, you know, what, what you were saying earlier, Tim, about uh, the fear mongering about Obama and just how, you know, he's going to erase religion and it's going to be illegal to be a Christian or to be a pastor. And yeah, there certainly are. I feel like the fear of that is somewhat legitimate in that we're told even in the Bible that things are going to get worse, (laughs) you know? Um, But I guess it's a misplaced idea that that situation is necessarily wrong or necessarily bad for the gospel or somehow God's not going to be able to work through that. When we obviously see, like you said, Rob, in these countries where the gospel is oppressed, it's usually thriving, (laughs) you know, despite that. And from, you know, what the Bible tells us about how things are going to go and just, you know, regardless of your interpretation of uh, revelation or end times and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. it's pretty clear, like things are going to get worse, but that's okay. (laughs) Cause that's part of the plan. That's part of how it's going to go. But obviously we don't want that. You know, we don't, people don't, they're not going to say, "Oh, yeah, let's start the tribulation now." Yeah, <laughs> well, yeah, and the other, but the other thing is that we have no reason to even start fearing those days right now. I mean, really, there. No, 
no, not in America. <laughs> I, mean, I, I don't think so. There's, you still can go out and preach on the corner. I, we can have a podcast about Christianity. Pastors yeah. can still preach the word every Sunday. I mean, I, I'm sure out of 300 million Americans, something happened with someone where maybe they were fined for saying something religious. And I guess maybe that's, uh, you know, the beginning of the end. But by and large, <laughs> as far as I know, there is no one I know of who's currently in prison just specifically for their religious views. There's no one who's been persecuted. There's no one's house that's, that, that, that's been broken into by the government, maybe maybe by other people. <laughs> but as far as the government, there, that has not been a thing. And it just seems like people have in their heads that it's only, you know, that any day now, or I should say, if a Democrat gets elected, it's only a matter of time <laughs> before they come for your guns and then they come for your Bibles and then they throw you in prison. Like, that's just what's going to happen. And they've been saying that for genuinely decades. I mean, the 90s, they were saying that. In the 80s, they were saying that. Early 2000s, they were saying that. Glenn Beck was saying that with Obama. That's the big fear. The big, bad government's going to come in and tell you how to live your life and tell you how you can't be a Christian anymore. But there's, at this point, no reason to think about, to think, to think that to think that's going to be an issue. And if it is, I'll be right there with them. Like, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be all about standing up for that oppression. But I just don't see it as a real threat <laughs> to our democracy. It's just not a reality. Yeah. It probably does come back a lot to what you said, Tim, of it's about getting your your opinion and your belief across. And you're going to use whatever method that you think is going to be most effective to do that. And if it's to come at it from this angle of uh, – you know, the opposition is the devil, <laughs> then, you know, that's what people are going to do. <laughs> and I think you're right. I mean, a lot of times people's motives, they're not what they seem on the surface. It's not that they care so much about uh, whatever the actual issue is, but they care about themselves and their party or their, their group or whoever's behind them, you know, that they're going to be the ones that stay in power. Well, that's that's probably what concerns me the most out of all of this is that the the Christian faith, the Bible, the gospel, it really has been, I mean, hijacked and it turned into a whole different animal, uh, you know, culturally speaking in America. I kind of see it as like, do you know when you apply some food uh, coloring into like white frosting? And it just kind of becomes to the point where it changes the color of the frosting. That's how I see it is with the Christian faith. Like there's so much food coloring in the Christian faith of, of, of the political agenda that you can't separate the frosting from the food coloring because they're just so intertwined in our culture uh, by and large. Um, I think a great example of that obviously was when Trump was running for president, how Christians defended him you know, as being a baby Christian or, you know, he, 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 maybe he's not morally perfect, but we want a commander in chief, not a president in chief, you know, and, and how a lot of people really, um, valid or try to validate Christian, uh, Trump being a good Christian choice, not just being a good candidate, but being a good Christian candidate. And we're seeing that now it's going to happen all over again, where you have people who are just, they really think that they're, that the whole point of being a good Christian is just to shove it down people's throats and to bring God back to the, to the country or, you know, whatever, or bring the country back to God. And somehow, whenever that happens, that will solve the problems. And I think a great example of that is the abortion issue. And I'll tell you why, because president Trump ran on anti-abortion issue uh, platform. Planned Parenthood is still funded. Even when the Republicans have majority control and had the opportunity to defund Planned Parenthood, they did not. So, What's happening is 
Now we're seeing issues that Christians really care about, in my opinion, being used as really political pawns just to get votes. Because even though some presidents did limit the amount of abortion or type of abortion that was happening, Roe v. Wade has not been overturned. Abortion is still happening, no matter who's in office. But you're taught that if you are, if you support a Democratic candidate, how could you do that? Because they are for abortion. Well, just because Trump said that he's against abortion doesn't mean that he did anything to stop it because it's still happening. So obviously, I know it's a more complicated issue than that. But when it came to the moment of defunding Planned Parenthood, the GOP fell on its face. And I'm shocked that Christians aren't up in arms about it. I think a lot of people realize that. And even maybe a lot of people even realized it at the time that it wasn't necessarily going to get any better. I think a lot of people maybe saw the situation as a choice between um, it's not going to do anything and it might get better because they're saying it's going to get better or they're claiming they're going to do something good about it versus, you know, the other side is going to obviously make things worse (laughs) or do everything they can to make things worse. And I know that's really simplified down way. And it's, it's a similar argument to a lot of people when they said, you know, well, there's really only two options because either Trump's going to win or Hillary Clinton's going to win. And who would you rather have of those two people? And yeah, I know there's a lot of arguments for seeing it that way. And there's a lot of arguments for not seeing it that way too. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, I'm I'm with you guys on that. It's just a very, um, I don't, I don't know why it grinds my gears so much. It really does. It just really, I see it on my Facebook all the time. I just see stat, comments and posts. I'm just like, man, like you're, you're, you're using God as a, or you're using religion as a way just to get your point across and, and by being, and being a jerk in the process. There's not a yeah. sense of humility. There's not a sense of wanting the gospel to go forward. The gospel is the conservative agenda in a lot of cases. Now, obviously it could be on the other side too, but the majority of, People who identify as as evangelical or Protestant tend to also be very it's just a reality. I mean, that's why Trump got into office. It's a big part of it. He pandered right. really well to the white evangelical. There's just no way around that fact, and that's what really helped put him into office. So it is very interesting, and um, it's 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 weird seeing the gospel being used as a vehicle to drive the car in a whole different direction than from the actual gospel. I mean, it's shocking. Who would have thought? that owning guns and being a Christian would be like almost synonymous in, in a modern culture and how like if some people can't fathom the idea of not owning a gun because America, but also I'm also a good Christian man who needs to have his gun. It's just a very crazy thing to me. <laughs> I'm not, listen, I'm not trying to say that, that you can't be a gun owner or that you shouldn't own a gun. I'm just saying when you rationalize it from a Christian perspective, I think you really get yourself in a world of trouble. Just call it a separation and be, and be, be um, honest about it, you know, be intellectually honest about, about that fact that I own guns. I like to go hunting and I think I should be able to own guns, but I'm also a Christian, not that I'm a Christian. Therefore I need to own my guns. End of rant. (laughs) (laughs) I'm using guns as an example, but there's a lot of things like that, that are very anti kingdom that we, we support. Yeah. So coming <laughs> coming back to this woman who, who right prayed, off topic there just a, just slightly sorry yeah that's on me. <laughs> hey this is what our podcast is about we go down rabbit trails and we explore them yeah I guess you're right um, but it, it was interesting to me 
because I was, I was trying to think of a good example of this woman in the Bible. The best, let me know your thoughts about it, but the best I could come up with was when the Lord um, uh, talked about the publican and the Pharisee that were praying. And he says, you know, look at the, the publican go, or the, the, uh, the Pharisee stood and he says, and he prayed with himself, not even that he prayed to God, but he prayed with himself. I said, God, I thank you that I'm not as other men are as extortioners, unjust, adulterers, whatever, or even like that publican over there. And then goes through the list of things that he had done. I fasted twice this week. I gave tithes to all that I possess. And I, and look at all of these things that I've done. And I almost saw the prayer of that woman in there that, and then the lawmaker stood and prayed with herself. God, I thank you that America is your country and that Jesus is the King of America and that we uphold him by our holy name and that we stand beside Israel and that we do all of these great things to make your nation great. It's just like, no, it's, it's just, yeah, this is not it whatsoever. Be more like the publican who couldn't even look at heaven because he thought I'm, I'm not even worthy to look at this God. God be merciful to me, a sinner. How much more powerful would it have been if that's all she said? If it was just, hey, you know what? We're all full of sin. Thank you for this grace. Thank you for our country that allows us to operate in this way. And we pray for your wisdom and guidance in all things today. And even pray for the woman that's about to be sworn right. in. I was just going to say that. God <laughs> forbid she prays for the woman who's born in and ask God to bless her. I mean, could I mean that might kill her. Um, the the legislator, what's her name? Uh, I forgot it again. I'm so bad. Oh, Stephanie. She even. I'm reading this article now. You know, she what she said was, "I don't apologize, but I stand by it." Like, I, I, it's not even a sense of. Hey, you know what? You're right. Maybe looking back, like I was a little over the top, or maybe, but it, it, it's just not being honest. Her response was, she says this. This is how I pray all the time. That was her answer. I'm like, wait, that's how you pray all the time when you're at the dinner, at the dinner table. You pray for Israel. You thank God that every every <laughs> will bow, every knee will confess. You take two minutes to pray before your dinner. I mean, come on, just be be honest. Like, where's? I mean, think about like, think about it like this. What's a more quote unquote christian virtue honesty and humility or or pride and arrogance i mean that that that's what we're seeing you know the answer is i'm not apologizing i don't need to apologize no of course not this is how i always pray as opposed to like you know what <laughs> i respect the concerns i understand like something to really think about you know i appreciate the feedback moving on but because again we've been taught in our culture that to be a good christian is to stand up for god again whatever that means we have a situation now where she can't apologize because if she did, Christians would label her as weak. Oh, she she bowed in. She came yeah. in pressure. She came into the to the liberal agenda. So, what choice does this lady really have? I mean, now that the words are the genie's out of the bottle, she can't take it back, and she can't say, "You're right. Maybe I made a mistake. Maybe my prayer was more of a political statement than an actual prayer." Because no matter who, no matter who hears that, someone's going to be angry. It's funny that we talked about uh, AOC claiming historical figures that probably wouldn't have <laughs> agreed with her. And then also in this lady's prayer, she 
<laughs> it was just funny. Like, thank you for George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. And when, and I, I grew up learning that like some of these historical figures were like devout Christians when the reality is they probably weren't. <laughs> right. Um, and I don't know as much about George Washington, but Abraham Lincoln, like he had some weird kind of out there, like he didn't believe in heaven. Um, like it was, it's very much because it was such a common, like cultural thing back then to be a Christian or, um, you know, like every, everyone was religious in some way. And in America it was Christianity was there, there wasn't really another religion. Um, and because it was so common culturally, everyone kind of claimed that. And now we look back and we're like, Oh yeah, they were Christians when really it was not necessarily something that they had, like they had a personal relationship with Jesus. Probably not a lot of the time. A lot, um, a lot of the we, deists, I mean, they weren't yeah. all these uh, American Republican Christian men. Right. But we like to claim that because they're respected. And <laughs> well, I think, I think we and also probably like, some of them were, but I think we also like to read our cultural view of Christianity into history. And we did, mm-hmm. we did that with, with in, in even bigger context than just America. I mean, we think that, you know, um, we think that Protestantism has been around since the beginning. We think that, you know, all these doctrines were all since the beginning, but no, they were developed over time. And the religious scene, even the Christian has has really changed over the years as far as what they value as being um, a non-negotiable, as far as how they view tenets of the faith. There's a lot of debate in a lot of circles in the Christian faith about a lot of this stuff. And I think I, I'm using that as an example of that, that we just assume that, oh yeah, church was always done this way, or you know, the Bible was always read this way. Um, I think I brought up uh, maybe on the podcast a few episodes ago. One that stuck out to me recently was that the term um, when Jesus tells his disciples go into the nations and preach the gospel for almost three hundred years in like like the fourteen hundreds to almost almost eighteen hundreds. Most Protestants took that to mean only for the apostles. It was not seen as like a personal commandment to go into the nation and preach the gospel. It was seen as just as something relevant to that time for the apostles to go do. Now, obviously, we look at that now, we, we, we'd say that's crazy. It's meant for us to go make disciples. But for th- almost 300 years, that was not a common thought. Missions was not a big thing. That's only more recently has that shifted. So I said that because, again, we assume certain things. And I think the same thing with this with this lady or people like this person. We assume that, that, that the founding fathers were all these like, Christian conservative moral majority men who held the same views that we do about God and the Bible. When in reality, some of them definitely did, but a lot of them definitely did not. Yeah. Hmm. What? No, that's, I was good. <laughs> well, I, you, you took everything out of our minds. That's what I do on this podcast, isn't it? I try and bring out the best of Robin Jordan, and then you guys tell me or help me be. You guys bring me back to planet Earth because sometimes I can just really go. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's not it's it's basically every time we post an episode, someone comes up to me and says, "Yeah, I just want to punch Tim in the face." (laughs) Really? Do they really? Yeah. Are you That's hilarious? Serious? Yeah, just because of the <laughs> things. That, threatened? No, that, I because, have violence. Wow, guys, <laughs> this is persecution. This is Christian persecution, right he, here. 
See? <laughs> and you said it didn't exist. You have to worry about it, Tim. People, give me more details, Rob. People really say that? Uh, maybe not that extreme. I may have exaggerated a little bit. Every time you post? <laughs> Every time I post, they're normally frustrated by something you say. And I don't even remember what exactly. They could just message me if I frustrate them. <laughs> you know what happens in my mind? So my mind, the way it works is I just happen to see connections between things like all the time. So it just kind of leads me down my own rabbit hole. It's not intentional. I'm not trying to be scatterbrained. I just see the connection. So I just follow the connection. And, and yeah, I, I believe that you are more reactionary where Jordan and I are more contemplative. Oh, so, for sure. Where Jordan and I will have an initial reaction, but we'll sit there and think about it for a little bit, and you'll just spout off the first thing that comes out, which is yeah. great. Yeah. I we love do. that. And I feel like oftentimes, not a lot, but there's a good amount of times where my reaction is the best view I had on the matter, even after I thought about it. There's sometimes <laughs> where there's sometimes where that that's definitely not true. But there's a lot of times where I'll hear something, I'll be like, Yeah, this is garbage and here's why. Or yeah, this is great, yeah. here's why. It's just it's just natural for me. Yeah. You're just it's just natural for you to be right. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm saying. Just natural. Cool. Take that person who thinks I'm annoying. <laughs> Boom. The first thing off the top of my head, usually a hundred percent accurate. <laughs> that's what I just heard. <laughs> yeah, that's completely correct. Cool. But yeah, so I don't mean to you know, bring us down all kinds of rabbit holes. My, my brain just works that way. It just, it just sees patterns and connections. So I just follow, I follow the little wire before you know it. I'm like, uh Oh, where, how do we get here? <laughs> it just makes me think of that office episode where Jim puts the wire in the back of Dwight's computer and then like runs it all over the office. You see and, him climbing and, up the telephone yeah. pole. And yes. you're Dwight climbing up that telephone Honestly, pole. <laughs> and that's why it's important that you guys bring me back to planet earth because you're like, Tim, get down from the telephone pole. Yeah, like, you're right. <laughs> that, wire, I, that wire goes nowhere. How did I get here? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, we'll see what happens in 2020. It's going to be a whole other election, election cycle, and we're going to see the same rhetoric vamped up. I just don't know what to do yeah. about it. I don't know. I, I'm, listen, we, we run a podcast, but by no means is, is this making a, a, a cultural dent. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> just a place for us to rant. But I don't know. What the solution is, because it just seems like every year and even every day it just gets more and more divisive. And it just seems like Christians are getting more and more in the mud. They're getting deeper in the mud. And I don't know. I just don't know why. I don't understand it. I, yeah. I think it opens up a lot of doors for followers of Jesus. I'm not going to say even Christians, because that can be a nominal term at this point. But followers of Jesus to follow him and display him in every situation and, you know, have conversations with maybe there was a Muslim person you work with and they were super offended at this prayer and that there's opportunity there to talk and be like, yeah, that's not what Christians are about. And that's not what Jesus is about. And let talk to them. How did that make you feel? And, uh, you know what? I think if Jesus was here, this is how he would have handled it. And go to the Bible and explain. There's so many situations where I think personally we can have better conversations because of what's happening on a grand scale. And if people 
if we're living a certain way and people know it, then they're going to be more apt to, to listen and more apt to feel like somebody cares about them instead of just somebody preaching at them. Hmm. Station. I, um, read a book by Francis Chan that was called, um, marriage in light of eternity. Um, it was a good book. It was very, uh, some marriage books are more like practical kind of stuff. And this was very much like kind of big picture spiritual stuff. Um, but I think that that concept and that idea is applicable here because I think it's important for Christians when things like this are happening around to do our best to view everything in the light of eternity. And that idea being that we take a step back from, you know, the craziness in, that's right in front of us or all around us. And we can say, you know, what's, what's God's deal in this, you know, like, uh, am I following, like you're saying, Rob, am, am I displaying Christ? Um, am I being a good witness in my life and in my actions? Um, and even just when it comes to, you know, if we're going to be, if we're ending up finding ourselves fearful of, you know, losing our religious rights and things like that, um, you know, look at that in light of eternity and in light of, you know, I said it kind of earlier, like the Bible talks about this and it's, and it's not, I'm not here to say like, Oh, it's the end times. The Democrats are taking our religious freedoms. If anything, I think a lot of the things we talked about, you know, from the conservative side of the twisting of, and the using of Christianity in a way that um, is definitely not what the gospel is about. That's more scary to me. You know, if, if you, if you connect that to end times things like that sounds more like, you know, the things the Bible says about uh, Christians, a lot of Christians just going and following the antichrist sounds a lot more like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, just going back to what I said, it's, I think it's so important to look at the big picture of, um, you know, the plan, God's plan through all of this and uh, his plan for eternity being way bigger than the election or way bigger than what's happening right now. Um, and considering how that affects our lives on like a daily basis. I really think that uh, for me, the only way for, the church uh, on a large scale to stay relevant and to really stay focused on being the salt of the world and not, 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 not the political uh, fuel (laughs) that fuels a certain (laughs) movement um, is that they have to, we have to rethink what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Like what, like is, is not cursing what makes you a good Christian? Honestly, like I, I have to reexamine and I have been the moral, uh, things I've been taught to do to be a good Christian and the things I've not been taught that don't, that, that, that aren't a big deal, you know, like, yeah, you should love your neighbor, but really if you curse in church, I mean, that's a big sign of like, you know, are you really a saved, you know, <laughs> or, uh, if you, whatever, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, if you drink, you know, if you have a beer, are you really a Jordan? Uh, <laughs> but honestly, I, I, I think that sometimes our, the moral, standard that we use for Christianity is so not what the Bible uses as a moral standard. I mean, there are so many scripture verses that talk about 
loving your neighbor or loving the poor or loving the orphan and the widow. You know, who's our modern day orphan? Who's the modern day widow? Why, you know, that's what matters, I think, to God is the people that we're reaching out to. I don't, I think that's what matters more than anything. It matters more than what words we use. It matters more than what we drink, <laughs> uh, even probably than what we smoke, frankly. I, you know, I, I just think <laughs> we, have, we just have these certain measurements that we use that we have to really reevaluate. Should we use them to measure like the fruit of our, of, of our faith? Because I don't think they're the right measurements to use. So I think that we have to rethink that stuff as a church culture and be okay with some people who might use different words than we prefer that they use, um, but they're loving their neighbor really well. <laughs> you know, we have to change like, like the litmus test because the one we have now is, do you vote a certain way? Do you support certain political statements? Do you not swear? Do you not drink a whole lot, if ever? Um, you know, it's, and that's it. Okay. And, and do you go to church every Sunday? Forget if you participate, forget if, forget if you have a spiritual uh, or biblical knowledge of just, you know, the basic biblical um, theology, just you go to church every Sunday. So I think we have to reevaluate those things big time. I agree with you. I was just going to add to that. I think it's really important that as the church reevaluates those things, those kind of moral standards that you're talking about, that we're doing so... Um, with the Bible, like with scripture as our guide through that. Um, Cause I think you can, I think I'm all about like finding the center and the balance and things uh, so often like swing so far in the opposite direction. When we realize something's wrong, we swing it so far in the opposite direction. It's usually wrong again. Um, and I totally agree with you. I think um, there's the danger maybe in that, when you're reevaluating things is that um, you can swing things too far in the other way and, and you can start to say things, well, you know, there really is no moral uh, guidelines, you know, as long as you love people, that's all it's really about. And I know that's not what you're saying. Um, but I just think that in that, I agree with what you're saying that we need to reevaluate those things. Um, but in that, like we need to be really into what the Bible has to say about it. I just don't know if, if we are fully prepared to hear that. And I, I understand that there's a lot of ways to read the Bible and that people have always been debating certain things about what the Bible means. But I, I, the problem I see is that like, here's the example I tell a lot of my friends uh, that kind of proves my point. So let's say I was preaching um, at a, at a typical evangelical church on a Sunday morning. Let's say I was talking about Genesis, Genesis one and Genesis two and I was using the, um, the part of the verses that talk about how God gave us dominion over the earth and how really that means to be a good steward of the earth. So we should be taking care of the physical earth that we have. If I said that, most likely many, if not the majority of people would automatically think political right away. They would think, okay, this guy like must lean more liberal because he's talking about about taking care of the planet more, which means that he must be for more regulation, which means that he must believe in global warming and yada, yada and like down like the rabbit hole that goes when all I'm really doing is just reading scripture and saying, huh, God gave us the earth as like something for us to take care of and to rule and to protect and to, you know, nurture. And we're not, maybe we should, we should think about that more in our personal life. That's just a biblical statement. It's not political at all, but politics are so deep in our head that things like that, or if I start talking about the poor and the importance of taking care of the poor among us, 
people would just start thinking social justice. Oh, he must be more left. He must be, or if I started talking about whatever, that would lean more right. People would think, oh, he must be more right, like like uh, protecting the, the child in the womb. Oh, he must be a right wing conservative. He must be for all of his other things. So it's tough because if you look at scripture, I mean, there's a lot of great studies and a lot of great knowledge already that scripture talks a lot about the orphan, the poor, the oppressed, the underdog. It's kind of all throughout scripture through the Old Testament to the New Testament. But we either want to justify why it's not relevant to us, or we just want to fill it with things that we can do that are easier, like not swearing. So to me, I don't know if we, if, I don't know how much there is to rediscover in the scripture. I think it's all kind of there. I just think that we like to qualify things. It's why we don't like to love our enemy. Jesus says to love our enemy, but we qualify that. Well, not if like he wants to kill us. Well, not if like, you know, it's ISIS, you know, it's like, okay, we have to talk about, about what that means because there's no qualifications that Jesus gives us on that statement. It's just there for us to deal with. So, and I, yeah, I think part of it is because we've we've taken the quote unquote teachings of Jesus and made a box of morality and said, "All right, as long as you're in this box, you're following Jesus." But that's and and we've decided that that box is what Christianity is, and if you're adhering to all or the majority of that box, maybe you got a little finger handout, you're okay. But if you start to stick your leg and hands and head out and almost climb out of the box, well, then you were never a Christian to begin with. Where we're trying to force everybody to be a Christian, but that's not what Jesus is about. What did he say? Follow me. His first commandment was not do this and don't do that. And he just said, follow me. So Christianity is not because we're, um, we're forced to conform, but we're uniform in following him. And that's how Christian life should always be is, I, you know, it's such a cliche phrase, but, you know, back in the 90s or whatever, WWJD. But I, the, the concept is actually right, is in this situation, is this, is this how Jesus interacted with uh, people? Is this, is this what Jesus would have drank at lunch? Or it, It's a simple and cliche phrase, but I, I think it actually has a good mentality behind it of let's get into the habit of following him and looking at his teachings. What did he say? How did he interact? What did, what did he talk like? Who did he who did he want to be seen with and all of that? And if we can take those things and not forget the morality, because it does say that thy word have you written on our hearts and, and all of that. So it's not to throw that out, but there's a higher standard that we're called to. It's not to follow a set of rules and regulations, but it's actually to live a life in service and devotion to him. And so if it's not pleasing or in devotion to him, then reevaluate that and see, does this line up? Amen. <laughs> yeah, that's great stuff. Absolutely. It reminds me of um, the Bible project, uh, how Tim kind of uses like the way he puts it is, is that there's the old humanity and then through Christ, there's the new humanity. And mm -hmm. that whenever we participate in how Jesus inspired us and taught us to live loving your neighbor loving 
your enemy. We're participating in the new humanity and we're being, we're, we're actively engaging in the new kingdom that is to come. And when he put it like that, I'm like, wow, that's a great way of describing it. Like, it's not so much about the do's and don'ts. It's more about like, well, do you want to live in the old humanity, which is self-centered and all about you and causes division and strife? Or do you want to participate in this new humanity that Jesus paid for and is actively participating in? And it's a sign of what is to come in that in in the you know in the grand scheme of eternity. I'm like, yeah, that's a great way of putting it. You know, that that following Jesus, when we do that, it brings about part of the new humanity now. We're showing the world what is to come now by how we love each other, by how we love the world. So I think that's a great way of putting it. Well, I mean, on that note, I don't have anything else to say. Just yeah. on this topic. Well, of, of, <laughs> of course, of course. So, um, and do you guys have any closing thoughts? No, I think I'm, I'm with Rob on what he said and definitely totally against everything Tim said. <laughs> well, amen to that. Apparently so are some no, of, our, of our listeners. So, um, <laughs> well, thank you everyone for, uh, checking out the podcast and thanks for listening and, uh, hanging out with us. If you, like what you hear, we have other episodes and we have um, more coming. We have more guests lined up. In fact, we have a pretty cool guest next week, which I'm excited for. Um, um, a guy named, uh, well, I'll just leave that for a surprise. I think it's a good one. <laughs> so I'm excited for that. But yeah, thanks for listening. Thanks for checking us out. We just love discussing this stuff. We think it's important. And uh, we're grateful that you uh, hung out with us and listened. So, we'll, we'll... oh, we d- we didn't mention this at the beginning. This is our fiftieth episode. Wow, episode fifty. So, if you listen to our episode this long, thank you for listening to episode number fifty. Pat yourself on the back. <laughs> thanks, everyone, and thanks for checking us out. And we'll talk to you next time. Thanks for checking out the Coffee Theology in Jesus podcast. You can always drop us a line on Facebook or through our email, podcast at coffeetheologyandjesus.com, as we love to hear from our listeners. Until next time, drink coffee, discuss theology, and love Jesus. But where's the water? What's your plan?